Good morning, everyone. It's so good to be back from vacation and back home here at Lakewood. And as I start to talk to you this morning, uh, you'll notice that this sermon this week is called Your Turn at Bat. Now, you may seem strange to think, but I believe with all my heart that if Paul had lived in our day and age, he would have used a lot of baseball in his sermons. I think he would have talked about baseball a lot because baseball, like Christianity, has a lot of the same characteristics to it. You see, in baseball, it's all about team play. And it's all about everyone has to take their turn at bat, right? And Christianity, same way. The church and Christianity and our faith is all about us each taking our turn at bat and all of us working together to make this church and the Christian faith a light on the hill, right? And as we stop and we look at today's text in Colossians in chapter one, I really believe that Paul would have written had he had a chance, I just had my turn at bat, right? I just had my turn at bat. Hey, you know, as a kid growing up, I, I played baseball. In our town, we had a small town, and the big thing for every kid to do, if you were a boy especially, was to play baseball. I noticed that here, Little League Baseball is really big as well down here in Phoenix City, and the kids all play baseball together. And as a young boy growing up, I, I can remember playing baseball. I loved to play out in the field. And I loved the game of baseball and practice and all the things that went with it. But the one thing about baseball that I really didn't like was batting. I, I didn't like to bat. Because when you came up to bat, you were all by yourself. And out in the field is the entire team with one purpose in mind to make you fail. They're out there saying things about you. They're saying bad things about you. They're telling you how you can't hit it. You can't no way get it. And the pitcher's doing everything he can. And the catcher's sending him signals in hopes of somehow striking you out. You see, the whole team's purpose is to get one individual out. And no matter what you do on the team, you can't get out of batting. And if you're not a good batter, you don't look forward to batting because you're afraid you're going to make it out. And if you're like me and you don't like failing, batting is not a fun thing. Because in baseball, even the best batters make it out more than half the time. The very best batters make more outs than they do hits. And, and yet there's some people who just love to bat. Because they believe when they get up there, they're going to advance their team. They're going to win the game because they're going to hit a home run. They always think they're going to hit a home run. Even though the fact that most times they don't. You see, that's the difference in personalities. And when we begin to look at the personality of Paul, the Apostle Paul, you have to realize that he was one of these guys that would have loved to bat. He always knew that some way, somehow, God was going to hit a home run. Every time something bad would come his way, he'd get all excited and start to celebrate what God was going to do next. He would begin to get all excited and start to celebrate that God's about to win another victory. And as he wrote to the churches, he tried to encourage them as well to see the truth that the struggles that were coming their way were just Satan's attempts to knock them out. You see, it was just Satan's attempt to get them out in a game they had already won. You see, recently in, in the James study, Dr. Horner began on Monday night to talk about in James the very truth that I've been preaching about since I got here. And that he and I have been trying to get across because this is a key message of Christianity. And it's the truth that Satan cannot stop God winning this game we're in. 
Satan cannot stop God from answering your prayers. Satan cannot stop God from blessing your ministry attempts. Satan cannot stop this church from anything it sets its mind to do. So his only hope is to stop us from trying. You see, his only hope is to convince us it's hopeless so that we won't try. You see, he can't stop God from answering your prayers, but he can sure stop you from praying. And in so, he can win his little game. You see, Satan is concerned about you, and he's concerned about us, and he's concerned about this church because he knows we have escaped already, and there's nothing he can do about it. But what he can do is stop us from telling others if he can only convince us that this turn at bat, we're not going to win. But I've got news for you. The Apostle Paul has news for you. The Word of God has news for you. In this game, we've already won. If you'll just pick up your bat and give it a swing, God guarantees you a home run. How about that? Let's take a look as the Apostle Paul begins to write to us in Colossians chapter 1. And in chapter 1, he, he breaks into the supremacy of Christ in the beginning of the chapter. And then as he goes down, he starts to celebrate the struggles that have come his way because he realizes that these struggles, these difficulties that are coming his way are only coming because Satan has found him worthy of a good fight. How about that? And Satan only fights because he knows he's already defeated. He's only concerned about us because he knows who we are in Christ Jesus. And he's trying to convince us that we're not who he knows us to be. You see, in Paul's letter, we read in, in, in the Colossians chapter 1, starting in verse 26, and he begins to, to talk to us about the importance of this. And all the way back in verse 21, he begins by saying, Once you were alienated from God, and you were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight, without blemish and free from accusation. If you continue in your faith, established and firm, and not moved from, from the hope held out in the gospel, this is the gospel that you heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. And then listen in verse 24. Now... I rejoice in what was suffered for you. I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions. For the sake of his body, which is the church, I have become its servant by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness. Now, everyone, Paul's perspective on suffering is strange to many of us. As a matter of fact, it's strange to me. I'm not a person who looks at troubles and problems and thinks that's a good thing. I'm not a person who, who by nature celebrates when things don't go the way I think. Matter of fact, I am by nature a person that complains when things don't go my way and complains when I don't think something's fair. I am by nature a person that loves to play by the rules. When I was in the Marine Corps, I hardly ever got in any difficulties or troubles because I played by the rules. 
I, I did everything they told me to do. I spit shine my shoes and I did all the stuff with my uniform and, and they had plenty of time tormenting all the other people who didn't enjoy all the rules. You see, I enjoy the rules and I enjoy when things work out like they're supposed to and people do what they're supposed to do. What frustrates me is when people don't follow the rules. And then I became a Christian and I found out I'm up against an enemy who never follows the rules. You see, we're up in, in this game called life, we're up against Satan and he never follows the rules. But God is the one great truth in this world. The Bible is the one thing that never changes. And in it, we have this absolute truth. And you see, when we look at Paul, we, we see in him a strange concept, a strange perspective that's different from us. As he says, now I rejoice in what I have suffered for you. Now, I want you to understand that Paul's not saying, I rejoice in suffering because I just do. That wasn't his perspective at all. God isn't saying, hey, suffering is a great thing. I hope you all suffer. That isn't what he's saying. When he looks at this, he says, now I rejoice in what I have suffered for you, and I fill up in my flesh what I'm still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of this body, which is the church. So why is it that Paul enjoyed suffering for the church? What is it about it that encouraged him Hey, let's take a look at Paul's life in this moment in his life. He's been falsely accused. He's been brutally beaten. He's been thrown in prison. If there's anybody alive that had a reason to complain, Paul is it. I guarantee you I'd be saying, this isn't fair. This isn't right. I'm a Roman citizen. They'd have never beat me to start with because I'd have said, hey, ho, ho, I'm a Roman citizen. Not Paul, he remained silent. You see, Paul understood something that I, that I have a difficulty with, that we have a difficulty with. He looked at his circumstances in a different perspective than we do. He looked at his suffering in a different way than we did. You see, he had all the reasons in the world to complain. He had all the reasons in the world to say, God has forsaken me. He had all the reasons in the world to say, God's deserted me. This isn't fair. He could have easily said to the world, God isn't fair. And the whole world would have said, you're right. After all, you went to serve God, now you're beat up. You went to serve God, now you're in prison. You tried to become a missionary and travel around the world and tell people about Jesus. Now you're locked up in a jail cell and you can't tell anybody. What do you think was more frustrating to Paul than anything in the earth. Can you imagine being a preacher, being a missionary, on your way to go somewhere and you can't get there and you can't tell anybody? And he's got this great message. He wants to tell more than anything in the world and he's locked up in jail and he can't tell anybody. This has to be the most frustrating thing in his world. So he did the only thing he could do. He wrote letters. And he wrote these letters to the different churches that God used to make the New Testament of our Bible. You see, Paul never lived to see that victory, but he knew there was a victory coming somehow, some way, even though he couldn't see it or perceive it because he knew in his heart beyond a shadow of a doubt 
that God was good and if this was happening, he was going to turn this thing around on the devil and he was going to make him pay for this. You know, one of the things that I'll say to my wife every once in a while and I'll say to others every once in a while, when Satan does something to somebody, I say to him, friend, now's the time to get serious. Let's make Satan pay for this. Because I guarantee you that God is not surprised when Satan throws us a curve. He's ready for it, you see. He's ready for it and set up for it and prepared for us to knock that thing over the fence. To turn that around on him and make it turn on him to regret it. Hey, let me tell you, if when Satan attacks you and does things to you, you become grumpy, you quit praying, you quit going to church, he's going to keep doing those things to you forever because they're doing exactly what he wants them to do. They're stopping you from being a light. But if when he does evil to you, you turn that evil around on him and make it good and turn it into a blessing, don't be surprised if he doesn't stop doing that to you because he doesn't want to lose this thing. He wants to win it. He only does these things to us so he can stop us from believing we're going to win. To make us believe we're going to lose. Hey, when a batter gets up to bat, what's the whole team do? They start chattering. They start saying, he can't hit it. Just throw it to him. He can't hit it. And if you start listening to him, you start believing it. Next thing you know, you become afraid. And when you become afraid and start believing you can't hit it, you can't. And you stand there and you strike out. But Paul never struck out, you see. Everything the devil did to him, he turned it around. And he turned it on him in a big way. And he says, I rejoice in this suffering. Why? How? You know, those are real theological questions that need real answers. Hey, when trouble came in his life, how did he survive it? How did he find the strength in the midst of it to have the hope to celebrate? How did he come to that place where he understood the reason he was there? You see, by nature, none of us consider suffering a privilege, right? By nature, none of us considers suffering a good thing, right? So Paul only did because of a belief he had. You see, Paul considered it a privilege when he realized why it was happening to him. Hey, the number one thing that, that frustrates us when troubles come is why is this happening to me? Why is this happening? If I get asked one question more than anything else, why is this happening? Why is this going on? Why, when I'm trying to serve God, is this happening to me and my family? Why, when I'm trying to be a good Christian, is this happening to me? You see, Paul would answer that very question of why he got excited when hard times came his way. Why, when Satan came against him, did he celebrate? And if you turn back just a book to Philippians and you get back into Philippians chapter 1, you'll find his very reason for celebrating, his very reason for the hope he had, the reason why he could celebrate in his suffering. You see, in the text in Philippians is a great celebration. If you haven't read or studied the book a great deal, chapter 1 is a great chapter to study and to read over and over again because in it, Paul's in a terrible situation. Within this text, he's, he's having some of the worst of times. But yet within the text, you'd never know it because he talks like he's on top of the world and he's winning 
at every hand. If, if you look with me in verses 18 and, and following, he says, he says, look at this. Yes, I will continue to rejoice for I know that through your prayers and the help given by the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and, and hope that I will in no way be ashamed. What do he say? I eagerly expect and I hope that I won't mess this thing up. Did you hear what he said? How many of you ever played ball? When you get up there, what do you do? You eagerly accept the challenge and you hope you're going to hit a home run. Right? That's what you do. He said, I eagerly, I eagerly anticipate hitting a home run. I eagerly hope that I do. And listen to the terminology. I promise you, if Paul was writing to this day, he said, it was my turn to bat and I wanted to hit a home run. Right? And listen to him. He says, he says, that, he says I continue to rejoice for I know that through your prayers and the help given by the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect it and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so as not now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. What did he say? I eagerly expect and hope and pray I hit a home run. How? By having the courage to turn this around on him. He's throwing a beadball pitch. He's throwing a curve at me. Satan is throwing a big nasty curve at me. And I hope I have the courage to stand there and wait for it to break over the plate so I can knock it for a home run. It looks like it's going to beam me. It looks like it's going to hit me. It looks like it's going to run me over and hurt me. But when it turns, I'm going to knock it for a home run. As long as I have the courage to stand here and realize what's going on. And then he, he, he goes on with that same idea. And that same ideal comes again. And in verse 27, he says, whatever happens... Whatever happens to us, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then, whether if I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in one spirit, contending as one man for the faith of the gospel without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed but that you will be saved, and that by God. And then in verse 29 of Philippians chapter 1 comes the answer why. Why he sees his problems the way he does. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for him. Since you are going through the same struggle you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. What did he say to the church? He said, hey, church, guess what? When Jesus was on the earth, Satan hated him, attacked him, did everything to stop him, but he couldn't do it. And then to the early disciples, he did everything to them he could, but he couldn't stop them. And to me, he's done everything he can, 
but he can't stop me. And now, church, it's your turn at bat. Be courageous. Do not be afraid. For when you are not afraid in your struggle, that's a sign proof positive to the enemy that he is done. He will fail because God will win this thing for you. You see, his great hope came from the fact that God was going to contend for him. Listen to this. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved and saved by God. How about that? This is a sign to them, what? That you are not frightened. You are not afraid. You are not filled with doubt, but with hope. You're not overcome by fear and anguish, but anticipation and eager excitement at what God's going to do next. How God's going to turn this thing around. How God is going to make this into a great day. You see, Paul wasn't strange. He wasn't into suffering. He didn't get excited about suffering. He never considered suffering a part of his salvation, but rather a confirmation that he had escaped. How about that? Think that through. You see, the devil didn't hate him because he belonged to the devil. The devil hated him because he had lost him. He had escaped. And he couldn't get him back. His only hope was to what? He couldn't stop him. He could only what? Stop him from saving others. So what did the devil do to try to shut him up? Threw him in prison. So he wrote letters. What did Satan do to him to shut him up? Beat him. Falsely accused him threatened to kill him and yet Paul laughed out loud and celebrated the excitement that he was about to win the greatest victory of his life the reality that these things were happening to him because he was a Christian gave him great hope the fact that Satan realized he was worthy of a good fight Gave him great joy. When we first got married, I made a silly statement to my wife one day that she reminds me of every time now I get worried. And I said to her one day, I says, things were going a little tough and rough things were happening. And I says, well, praise the Lord. And she looked at me funny and I said, Satan still finds us worthy of a good fight. Now, once in a while, she'll say, praise the Lord, Amar. Satan still finds you worthy of a good fight. Hey, you know why Satan fights against you? Because he's scared of you. Because you are a threat to him. Because you can overcome him. So he stands out like a baseball team telling you, you can't hit it. You never could. You're going to strike out. You're no good. But the truth is, you're the home run king. Remember Babe Bruce's great story? How many ever saw the movie? What was his most famous thing? Not what he said, what he did. He walked up to bat. Hey, do everybody know that Babe Ruth was a strikeout king as well as a home run king? He was a strikeout king as well. He led the league in strikeouts, as a matter of fact. But the neat thing about it was he stood at the plate. And when the batters all said, he can't hit it, just throw it at him. He's a strikeout king. And the pitcher smiled at him and says, I'm not afraid of you. You're the strikeout king. He stood at the plate 
and he pointed at the fence. And he smiled and says, throw your best curve because I'm taking it for a home run. Unlike Babe Ruth, you see, we've got God on our team. Unlike him, we can't miss. Unlike him, all we have to do is stand up there and take Satan's best shot. Smile, because you're about to knock a home run. Certainly the devil throws curves. They may look like they're going to hit you, but they're not. And if you dare to believe in a God who can, and don't lose hope in the midst of a trial, you too can hit a home run. Hey, how many of you would consider Paul's ministry a home run? How did he do it? By celebrating in his struggles. Celebrating that Satan had found him worthy of a good fight. Celebrating that he had been chosen like Christ to suffer the wrath of the enemy who hated him. The realization that because he was a Christian, the world was going to hate him changed his whole perspective. You know, when troubles come, if we could know why, many of the problems of dealing with those troubles would go away. It's the question that nags at us, that the devil continues to say, why is this happening? And every time you say, why is this happening? The devil says, God hates you. God's deserted you. God's left you. God is no God at all. Where's God when you need him? All those things you hear in your voices, all the things that people say to you when you're in hard times, those are the real world struggles of coming up to bat. Those are the real world struggles, but in them, Satan can't win unless you surrender. And you see, Paul was successful because he understood the reason why those things were being said. Why do the outfielders say, he can't hit it, he can't hit it, and at the same time they smack their gloves and they move their feet from side to side, hoping and praying you don't hit it, and if you do hit it, they can get to it. You know, they're not smacking their gloves and preparing their feet because they think you're going to miss. They're doing that because they're afraid you're going to hit it hard. You understand? Satan's tormenting you because he knows if you don't lose your focus, you're going to hit it, and you're going to hit it hard. And there's nothing he can do about it. You see, Jesus taught us this very truth. The world hated Jesus, and they'll hate you too when you start to remind them of him. In the Gospel of John, in chapter 15, verses 18 and following, Listen to the words that Jesus told his disciples. If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. And as it is, you do not belong to the world. But I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Remember the words I spoke to you. No servant is greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. If they obeyed my teachings, they will obey yours also. They will treat you this way because of my name, for they do not know the one who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not be guilty of sin. Now, however, they have no excuse for their sin. He who hates me hates my father as well. 
If I had not done among them what no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen these miracles, and yet they have hated both me and my father. But this is to fulfill what is written in their law. They hated me without reason. You know, our perspective on things changes things. You know, if you are going through hard times, bad things are happening to you, and you don't know why, how will that make you feel? But what if instead God came to you and said, I realize these things are happening to you. You know why they are? You know why they're happening to you? Because you look so much like my son. Because you're doing such a good job. Because you're a light in the darkness. And they can't stand light. Because you're so much like me. That's why this is happening to you. How would that make you feel? How would that perspective change the way you feel? You know why Satan does the things he does to you? He's scared of you and who you can be in Christ Jesus. He's scared of the spirit who lives in you because he knows the spirit that is in you is greater than the spirit that is in this world. He knows that if you dare to believe and take God at his word, you're going to knock him out. And you're going to take his world away. And you're going to live in joy and you're going to have peace and you're going to have all the things he desires to steal from you if you dare to believe. So taunt you, he will. Torment you, he will. And he might just strike you out if you forget the promise to keep your eye on the Lord. Because in him, you're going to win. You see, when troubles come our way, our perspective will determine how we respond to them. And when we realize that Satan still finds us worthy of a fight, how that perspective will encourage us to carry on, right? When we begin to realize that oftentimes the things that are happening to us are happening because we're becoming more like Jesus, how much will that encourage you to keep on? Keeping on. Hey, just like Jesus, just like the early apostles, just like Saul, just like the patriarchs of the past, just like the reformers, just like the pilgrims, just like your parents, it's our turn at bat. And the home run or not will be determined by your perspective and the realization of why.
this is happening to you. And when you realize the truth and you take hold of it, God is going to help you and you're going to knock a home run. So don't be afraid, my friends, of the struggles that come our way. God is not surprised and he's ready and he wants you to win and he wants you to win today. Will you pray with me? Dear Lord, as we pause in your presence, many of us in this very moment find ourselves in the reality of our turn at bat. Like Jesus, we are under attack. Like the Apostle Paul, we are falsely accused. Like the early disciples in the early church, difficulties come our way from every direction. And oftentimes we don't understand and we become frustrated and we lose hope. And I pray in this midst of the struggle this day, in the lives of each and every person here, all who hear this message, they might stop to realize that just maybe, just maybe this is happening because they're becoming too much like Jesus. And God help us to find the encouragement of the scripture to realize that we are on the winning team and that we have each and every one this day the opportunity to take our turn at bat. And God help us have the hope to believe that in this life we're going to win no matter what struggles come our way simply because you're good all the time. God help us this day. These things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, if you're in our midst today, and you've never even started the game with Jesus. You've never accepted him as your Lord and Savior. You've never even joined in to the victory of salvation. Today is the day of salvation, friends. I'm here to tell you, God so wants to reach out to you and show you the truth of his love for you. If you're here this day and you don't know Jesus, your Lord and Savior, as we have this time of invitation, won't you come? I'd love to show you in the Bible how you too could be saved. If you're here in our midst and, and you've been a Christian a long time or just a short time, that doesn't matter. But you find yourself in the midst of a great struggle and you've been filled with questions why. Well, the answer to why is the enemy wants to steal your joy away. So rejoice in the midst of your storm because tomorrow the sun is going to rise on a new and glorious day. Will you stand with me? If there's any decision to be made, if any of you need to pray, won't you come?
with me Peyton Black and he comes this morning and says I've accepted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior and I need to follow him in believers baptism and all of God's people said amen so before you leave today come by and congratulate him on the best decision right come by and celebrate with him before you leave today him and his parents are here they'll be here this morning won't you come and congratulate them All right, you can have a seat. Let's try it again. There we go. All right. We thank you for your presence this morning. We have a couple quick announcements for you. Uh, I want to remind you that there is a quarterly conference tonight. Uh, again, the uh, recommendation has been posted outside for a couple of weeks there. Make sure that you go and grab one of those if you're not sure. And uh, we encourage you to be here tonight at 6. If you are a parent or student of a parent, there's youth choir this afternoon at 5 p.m. in the youth room. Want to make sure that you're here for that. And uh, make sure your students are here as well.